in New Orleans. They call the rising sun. Welcome to the show, Randy and BG, on this week. And a whole lot to talk about, fellas. Let's start with the Minnesota Vikings, as we always do. And Brady G, it was about as bad as it gets. It, I mean, that was to lose to, before the game at least, the winless Lions. And to lose in the manner they did was a fireable offense. This um, organization has already seemed to commit to Mike Zimmer through the rest of the season. And barring any sort of further meltdowns on Thursday night football and Monday night football, and I think we have Sunday night football as well with the Packers, um, I, I expect Zimmer to be a part of this team and the head coach of this team until the end of the season. But uh, it was a fireable offense for even just that last play. I mean, we'll talk about the other stuff that went on up to that, giving up 75 yards with a minute and 50 seconds left uh, and no timeouts to a pretty helpless quarterback who can't do anything with pressure in his face. He's okay when he doesn't have pressure. Um, But for whatever reason, the Vikings decide to, for that entire drive, and and really it was uncharacteristic for how they played the rest of the game, uh, but decided to drop eight guys into coverage. And on that last play, you drop eight guys, you rush three, you give them all the time in the world. He doesn't even need that much time because Cam Dantzler doesn't even cover um, the St. Brown. Uh, when he crosses the goal line. I mean, you backpedal on the last play of the game with four seconds to go, and all you have to do is keep them out of the end zone. I think we had a 94% chance on next-gen stats of winning the game before that play was snapped, and they lose, find a way to lose. And especially when it comes off a timeout, I mean, it's so infuriating for for Minnesota Vikings fans. And honestly, I I didn't even – it wasn't like I was going into that game thinking – we were going to lose, but I thought, you know, this is the Vikings. This is Mike Zimmer. This is what we do. We lose games. We should not lose. And this is just a Minnesota sports thing, maybe. Uh, but but now a terrible loss. A very, I mean, this is a like a decade, once in a decade type of loss um, against this terrible football team. And now we have two of those this year as, as Minnesota football fans with the Gophers losing to Bowling Green and now the Vikings losing to the Detroit Lions. BG. Your thoughts? Sunday's game was a total nail in the coffin in many different aspects of the season. Um, Probably our playoff chances. I know there's still a chance with the 17-game season to come back, but absolutely not going to make the playoffs if we keep playing like that. Um, I think it was a nail in the coffin to Zimmer's chances of – becoming and staying the head coach next season. Like you said, it sounds like we're not going to get rid of Zimmer until <clears throat> the end of the season because we don't really have an interim coach because it wouldn't be the OC since I think he needs to be on his way out too or maybe a minimized role, which I don't think he would take with the organization where he was an OC. So probably <clears throat> and hopefully on his way out. Um, it was just a very, very depressing Sunday. We've had so many games this season that have been rough and ugly games that we should have won in games that have been decided on the last play of the game. And this one was 10 times worse than those, those other games because the Detroit, the Detroit Lions, they're 
better than their 0-10-1 record at the time, I thought. But even with our injuries, with guys out, with guys not fully healthy on the COVID list, <clears throat> it's just embarrassing when you lose to the Lions um, with the roster that we have. And the first game we played them at home, it was a, it was a tight game that we easily could have lost. So, yeah, back to the point, just a nail in the coffin, splitting one and one against the Detroit Lions when you have Justin Jefferson, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, although he was hurt, uh, Delvin Cook, when you have Harrison Smith, those guys on your roster, I can't even name a wide receiver on the Detroit Lions. Josh Reynolds, he's one of them. Who else do they even have? DeAndre Swift out. It's just, it's super frustrating. There's no excuse for what happened. Um, I'm sure Zimmer and the rest of the coaches will have an excuse for it and either blame uh, people on the COVID list or injured, but everybody has injuries and it's, it's just inexcusable. One thing I have to say <clears throat> about Dantzler, it's just, you can't make that mistake on such a large play of the game that, that directly decides the game in your second season. And especially when you've made that mistake or a similar mistake, probably 10 times this season and 10 times last season. He is just not learning from his mistakes at all. Like you said, uh, Beal, don't know why we would rush three and drop eight into coverage when Jared Goff has got to be one of the worst quarterbacks in the league when it comes to evading pressure. But we drop back eight, and we put our defensive backs about three to five yards behind the end zone. So a 12-yard hook would work perfectly. And I know that was a lapse on Dantzler's part, but it's just, come on, man. This is the NFL, your starting cornerback, and you can't figure it out, and Mike Zimmer can't call a defense <clears throat> or be smart enough to rush guys, to, to force Goff into making contested throws or not have, having time to look to the three-receiver three side and come back to the one-receiver side for that game-winning touchdown. If we rush four, if we rush five, he's not going to have that time, and that's exactly what the New England Patriots did on Monday night against the Buffalo Bills when they were driving down the field. They got stuck probably 10 or 15 yards out outside the end zone, and Josh Allen just didn't have the time to find a receiver because the Patriots brought pressure, and I think Zimmer needs to take a, a playbook out of Coach Kaczynski's playbook and decide that rushing more than three or four guys is, is going to do well for the team. One last thing about Dantzler. I was thinking about this when I was watching the game. <clears throat> Besides his play, which is just so stupid, I also think he just looks like a very stupid person. His helmet is squishing his <laughs> cheeks together. I don't go, I don't know if you guys noticed this. The way his helmet is, his like cheek pads are super thick or maybe just has a skinny face. But Dantzler, the camera pans to him after he makes just a boneheaded play, some mistake, and he just looks so stupid with that helmet on. And I don't know, I'm, I'm sure you guys have seen the movie Space Jam, the original. He looks like the blue alien from Space Jam before he went to the Monstars, actually kind of like him when he was on the Monstars, but he looks a lot like the blue alien um, before he transforms and gets, gets big. Just a dumb-looking face on on a skinny face. That's all I got. <laughs> yeah. He, Dancer reminds me of that kid in, in football who, in high school football, who really didn't want to be on the field, a little bit undersized, uh, was probably forced to play and his helmet is just way too big. So it always sits like he's looking up to the stars and it just like, it doesn't fit on his face and it looks totally out of place. And, and that player is always terrible. It's a great analogy, BG, um, to space jam as well. 
Uh, let's listen to Patrick Peterson. He broke down that final play, and he also talked to Dancer after it. Here's Pat P. The best part about it, you know, watching it from the couch, like I knew every, pretty much every call that we were in. And in that particular call, um, I love the call because, you know, it puts you in position to protect, you know, the goal line and the back of the end zone. Mm-hmm. I just felt, you know, I, and man, Cam, we talked about this, you know, he texted me right after the game. He said, you know, you know, big bro, what I do wrong? I was like, first of all, you was too deep in the end zone. You know, mm-hmm. I feel, you know, we talk, I, we talk about this all the time in the red zone. They cannot beat you deep. Mm-hmm. They cannot throw the ball over your head in the red zone. Yeah. So stand your ground and make him take you in the end zone because you can be you can be over the goal line by this much. Get what that, guess what it's going to be? A touchdown. Yeah. So you have to defend the goal line. You can't defend the end zone. You got to defend the goal line. Mm-hmm. Every inch of that goal line. That's what you got to defend. And I just told him, I, th- I just thought you were just a little bit too deep in the end zone. You know, standing ground, forcing to run you through. But that's easy for you know me to say or a fan to say. You know, yep. versus when you're out there in the fight, in the moment. You know, yep. but that's why I try to tell you know not only Cam but Breland, um, Chris, uh, you know, uh, Ty Smith. That's why practice matters. Yeah, practice how you- and that's probably enough. He goes on for a little bit there, but. Uh, one news, I guess, on, on Pat P. as we talk about him for just a second, he's back in practice this week and expected to play on Thursday night against the Steelers. So that's good news. I mean, we hopefully won't have to see Dancer in that situation ever again. Get him out of here, honestly. I mean, that was pathetic to have that mental blunder on the last play of the game after, you know, hearing Peterson's side of things, he clearly was doing the wrong thing. He's not supposed to backpedal. Well, you can't put that uh, at least the, the way – Dancer played that final play. You can't put that on Mike Zimmer. You can put the formation, the coverage, the dropping eight guys certainly should go on Mike Zimmer. Coming out of the timeout, especially, uh, just an idiotic decision uh, to to decide to give time to one of the worst quarterbacks facing pressure. I mean, just an absolutely horrible decision. It wasn't what we had done the rest of the game where we had success against the Lions was when we brought pressure. And it wasn't like they're bringing five or six guys. Uh, they're usually just bring or six or seven guys. They're usually just bringing four or even five at times. So it wasn't like they were bringing engage eight blitzes. They're just bringing at times one extra blitzer. And to pull a, a defense lineman off the field is, in my mind, a fireable offense for Mike Zimmer. The Wilfs will not do that, um, and we'll have to ride out the rest of this season with Mike Zimmer and his mismanagement of the clock and, and his mismanagement of extra points. And the, the, it's just been so pathetic. I mean, that final play should have been to tie the game. They should have had to kick a field goal actually to tie that game. And it should not have been to win the game because of Mike Zimmer's decision in the third quarter, I believe it was, to start going for two all of a sudden. Uh, and at, at the time it was like, okay, you know, if they get it, that's fine. Uh, it's a little bit aggressive here. You shouldn't chase points really towards the end till till at least the fourth quarter. I don't know why you're chasing points early in the third quarter, uh, especially against a terrible Lions team. But maybe they're thinking, hey, this is a bad defense. We can we can just stuff one in on them. And then they run. I believe the first one was just up the middle, or maybe in the uh, on the right side, but just off the guard, stuffed. The next time they decide to go for two, they run like a trick play. Uh, reverse to, it was like a little counter to Kenny and Wangu, stuffed. And then I believe the third one was 
a pass, but just like ridiculous decisions to not only d- decide to go for two, but then run right up the middle. Why don't we get Kirk Cousins rolling out of the pocket and open up the field a little bit? Why don't we throw the ball at, at least two of the times? Why are we running it right up the middle without our basically our entire offensive line playing out of position, which was a decision we could talk about as well. Why don't you just plug Rashad Hill into that left tackle position? Why do you have to shuffle the entire offensive line and take our terrible right guard, put him at left tackle, take the one center who's played a decent game in the last 10 years to the Vikings, put him at right guard, put our really terrible center who was awful the first half of the season, put him back in at center. I mean, it was just mind-boggling decisions uh, for the Vikings all the way around. And I really hated that stat. Um, I don't know if you saw this one, BG. They put it up on the broadcast that Kirk was 226-1 when trailing, entering the fourth quarter. And again, I mean, it was thanks in large part to Dan Campbell's decision to go for it with four minutes left, which was a terrible, terrible decision. And the fact that the Vikings lost after they went for it and and got the ball on the 29-yard line is ridiculous. But the point is, Kirk, again, when when we needed him to score, he didn't have a go-ahead touchdown. He did it. He provided. Granted, we got the ball on the 29-yard line, but still, in another situation this year, Kirk has put this team in a position to win, and Zimmer's defense has just let us down again. Yeah, I totally agree. I saw that stat that you were talking about. I saw it um, shown live. I saw it all over Twitter, and I hated the way people were just taking that and saying it's Kirk's fault. It's just people love to make black and white decisions in all aspects of life where there's more of an answer or there's more of a reason to the answer. Um, but people just love that, um, quick answer and not having really to put your mind together to, to think of a real response that doesn't go with your narrative. And <clears throat> I think like people, um, liking Nickelback for no reason, they just did it because it was popular. Well, people dislike Kirk Cousins because it's the popular thing to do. They rag on him because other people are doing it. Kirk Cousins, in my opinion, is not the problem with the Minnesota Vikings. If we had almost any other quarterback, obviously Rodgers, um, Tom Brady, a few others are an exception. But if we had any other quarterback, we'd be in the same spot or worse, most likely worse than where we are right now because he has had multiple either game-winning drives or chances for us to win the game. Um, where the field goal just doesn't go in, where we fumble the ball, that Kirk has done all that he can. Also, we have one of the worst defenses in the league. We're 30th before the Lions game. I can't imagine we're much better after last Sunday. The 225-1 and one takes does not take that to – I guess it does take that into account, but fans and the people who are talking about it do not. Um, scapegoat is a word for a reason, and Kirk Cousins is the scapegoat because he's the quarterback. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's it's not because of Kirk. It's because of everything around him, shuffling the offensive line, not starting our backup left tackle when our, off, when our starting tackle is out, insisting that we need to put um, oh, Bradbury in when he has had a horrible year, giving up three first-half sacks to the Lions who have barely had any sacks this season. As we said before, you're not going to get uh, a great, super good game from Kirk Cousins when he doesn't have a clean pocket because he's not that guy. It's just – Everything around him is fumbling around. A lot, I think, is is on the coach's shoulders, um, <clears throat> and it's all coming back to Kirk, which is not is not right. 
Yeah, when you have big-time players and big-time stars at their positions with Justin Jefferson and Harrison Smith and Eric Kendricks, who, granted, didn't play in this one, but when you have those type of guys underperforming, and not all of them are underperforming, but you, when you see the talent that this roster has and you see the underperformance from a record standpoint, uh, you got to scratch your head, and there's really only one thing to point at, and that's poor coaching. That's poor management and it's putting players in positions to fail, and that's exactly what Mike Zimmer and this organization has done all season long. They found a way to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory, and once again they did that on Sunday in Detroit. Kirk Cousins finished 340 yards, two touchdowns. He played 75% of his passes, and based on pro football focus, he had one turnover-worthy throw and one big-time throw. He had 19 passes for first downs. and I think he was nominated for NFC Player of the Week as well. So the Kirk haters continue to chirp. It's not his fault. Uh, BG, any other thoughts? And Randy as well. Packers were on a bye this week. But any other thoughts? NFL. Um, BG, I was happy you brought up that uh, Bill Belichick because that was Sunday Night Football game. I'm sure everybody was watching. And it was just such a – it was a very similar situation to how the Vikings were in. And it was just such a difference in how Bill Belichick and that defense handled that final play. Uh, or that crucial play, I should say, against uh, the Bills and against Josh Allen versus what Minnesota did because it was a complete, complete drastic change from how the Vikings handled it. Yeah, it's just Bill Belichick has balls, and we've known that for the past 20 years. I thought Zimmer had some uh, for the past five years, excluding this one and this past one, but as a fan and as a player and as a coach, I'd much rather go down swinging you bring the blitz and he makes a great throw. The receiver makes a great catch. Not, okay, we're going to we're gonna stay back here in our coverage and, and hope that he doesn't get a pass and we're just going to see what happens. And if we lose, we lose. I'd way rather go out swinging and losing by bringing the blitz or going for two points instead of an extra point, um, just for example. It's, it's just frustrating how complacent our offensive play calling still is. Our defensive play calling has been all year. It's being what are we now five and seven with the talent we have we are so complacent and i know if we're in a different system with a different head coach with a different offensive coordinator it'd be a completely different story so just another week and more of a reason to fire zim in the game yeah agreed um i guess just some notes i didn't hit from injury updates Anthony Barr back to practice on Tuesday as well. I mentioned this. Patrick Peterson off the COVID-19 list. He practiced on Tuesday. No sign of Darisaw Thielen. And actually, Cook did practice. Uh, he was a, a partial participant as listed on the injury report. So Cook, not likely, not expected to play on Thursday night. But he was back at practice on Tuesday, at least as a limited participant in practice. Um one note on Thielen, I read the pro football doc who seems like he's always right, BG. You got me started on him. He's a beast. He analyzed the Thielen injury. He said it's a high ankle sprain, so that's at least a couple of weeks out for Mr. Thielen and another hit to this this team that's just depleted by injuries right now. Um, they'll get some guys back on the off, uh, on the defensive side of things this week, though, fortunately, um, to have, have Barr. And, and I guess I didn't mention Kendricks. He practiced as well. Uh, so Barr, Kendricks, and Peterson all expected to play on Thursday. That'll be great for the defense. Uh, you guys want to move into champ week? And, uh, Randy, we could talk a little Michigan and the domination over your Iowa Hawkeyes. I know you were there. And a uh, very memorable game for you. Very memorable. Who, who, who won again? 
Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, I'm very disappointed. Oh, I, 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 I'm, I'm sincere. Who, who won the game? Yeah. I, I 42 to 3, Randy. 42 to 3, Michigan defeated Michigan? Iowa. And I'm really disappointed you didn't bring the paper bag because it was exactly the situation and the scenario that we had predicted here in the podcast, we being me and probably BG, uh, for you to throw that paper bag on, cut a few eye holes out, boom, you're going straight to national TV. I'm going straight over that railing that I was uh, I was right behind, right into the 300s. That's, uh, that's what would have happened if I brought a paper bag. Yeah. Uh, what was the stadium like? Was it uh, mostly Michigan? You know, it's tough when Michigan is maize and blue and Iowa is black and gold mm. to figure out what the stands were. Uh, at least from the stand, like the noise standpoint, Michigan fans were a lot more rowdy. Uh, it was probably, if I had to guess just from the streets, probably slightly more Michigan fans, but it seemed fairly split. Okay. Yeah. I, it was, I guess, tough from uh, on the TV, too, to tell when they'd show the crowd because. Like you mentioned, the color is very similar. Uh, but Michigan dominates. They get the number two seed, and they get Georgia, I believe, uh, in that 2-3. I can't remember the, what bowl it was, uh, the the bowl that they're playing in. But they'll it's get... named after a fruit, I think. Say that again? I think it's named after a fruit. <laughs> okay. I don't know which one. Uh, they get Georgia in a couple weeks here in, the, I guess, about a month, <clears throat> almost until the college football playoff. Uh, but just going around some of the conference championships, or just one of them really that I want to talk about, Alabama upsetting Georgia. And as six-and-a-half-point dogs, that is going to be one we look back on and think, like, wow, how were they ever favored or favored to lose by that much? And they just dominated. Bryce Young was brilliant. And really from I don't know, maybe second quarter on, the game was basically in the hands of, of the Crimson Tide. They never gave it up. And now just reading some stuff out of Georgia today, their sports department and their city is just freaking out. Like they're, they were talking about basically scrapping the whole offense and the whole defense and just rebuilding now to try to beat uh, what will likely be a matchup uh, or what could be, I guess, a matchup between Georgia and Alabama in the championship game. Uh, but Georgia was definitely scrambling after that defeat to Alabama. Either of you guys see that one? I saw it at a tailgate, um, and I just saw the score and thought, of course, this is what happens when you give you give Alabama six and a half points. They're going to beat you by 20. Yep, that's exactly what I thought. Um, let's go through some of the bowl games here. Uh, I guess I, I got, let's see, I got about like eight games. This is the New Year's Six set, um, or just the New Year's. I don't know if it's actually the New Year's Six, but these are the New Year's Day games. It's number 21, Arkansas versus Penn State. That's the Outback Bowl. The Citrus Bowl will be with Sir Randy and number 15, Iowa, versus number 22, Kentucky. Uh, you're not going to go to the game, are you, Andy? Uh, no, because I'll be in um, I'll be in Green Bay for uh, a certain uh, green team versus purple team mm. matchup. Love it. Love it. Uh, Fiesta Bowl is number five, Notre Dame, and their new head coach versus number nine, Oklahoma State. And... Did you guys see the uh, Big Twelve Championship? Crazy! Oh my gosh, what a goal line stand, dude! That I thought for sure that guy was going to get in. Why did he jump so early? Is my question. I mean, he <laughs> had at awesome. least two more steps to the pylon, and then I feel like he could have jumped or even made a little more contact with the defender and, and tried to like just kind of rush his way in and run that guy over. But that was crazy play. Um, 
yeah, it, that was that could have changed everything too, in the uh, with Cincinnati and them sneaking in. But crazy game, crazy goal line stand. Uh, continuing on here, Rose Bowl is number six, Ohio State versus Utah, making Utah's. I think it's their first appearance ever in a Rose Bowl. There's going to be a mil. I mean, Ohio State travels well too, but there's going to be a ton of Utah fans. They're going to be going nuts, and it was fun to see them on Friday night win their conference championship. Sugar Bowl is number seven. Uh, number seven, Baylor versus number eight, Ole Miss. The Cotton Bowl, that is one of the playoff semifinals. That's number one, Alabama versus number four, Cincinnati. And then the Orange Bowl will be Michigan and Georgia. And then the other big bowl that everyone's talking about is the Guaranteed Rate Bowl. It's uh, on the 28th of December, kind of a sleeper here on a Tuesday night. 10-15 kickoff. That must be local time. Uh, so an 8-15 central kickoff. But that's Minnesota and West Virginia in the Mac Daddy of them all, the guaranteed rate bowl. Fellas, any of you th- horrible time for a, <laughs> a game. Ten fifteen. Yeah. Yeah. I'm hoping that's Eastern time. Yeah. I think that's Eastern time. Yeah, yeah. it must be. Because it's in Phoenix. Um on a Tuesday night. <laughs> Won't be watching that whole game. Yeah. Oh, I guess, yeah, that probably is. Yeah, I was thinking, I was completely messed up thinking about that. I was going backwards from West Coast time. Yeah, so it's probably a 9.15 start, uh, not 8.15. But, yeah, that's it's going to be a late one on a Tuesday night in the end of December. Uh, fellas, you want to move on to Little Wolves talk? Let's do it. Beautiful. Well, three losses in a row for the Wolves. Uh, kind of a bad week for them. And, and they just can't make open jumpers, BG. Uh, and they've had some guys out still. I think Pat Bev might be coming back uh, this week. Russell's been out for a little bit now. Uh, but there's just so many missed shots. And the, the numbers, particularly the three-point numbers for everybody are down. The, the percentages are eight to ten point percentage points worse across the board, really, besides Cat, uh, from last year's numbers and from career stats um, on these players. It's just they're missing wide-open jumpers. And it, it's not like... They're missing a ton of, of layups and other stuff like that, but they're just they're terrible at making wide open threes. They're getting they're playing good offense. They're they're moving the ball at times. Sometimes it gets a little sticky on the offensive end, but they're just flat out missing jumpers. And it's been the story for the Wolves now uh, for I don't know how many years, but a long time. They're holding teams to a pretty good percentage. I think they're let's see they're the second best in the league right now uh, at three point percentage. They're holding they're holding their opponents to a 0.325 percentage so 35 or 32.5% from the three point line where on the flip side of things they're shooting 27th in the league at, at percentage from from two point land and then 24th in the league from three point land at, at just over 33% from three pointers so I mean they're holding teams for the most part they have given up of I think they gave up 25 threes the other night against um, the Hornets I don't know who Atlanta. Did we play? Atlanta thank you um, against Atlanta, but for the most part, they're holding teams to, to pretty low numbers from the three-point line, BG, but they just can't seem to make threes on their own. They're shooting a ton of them. They're the second most three-point attempts in the league, but they're, again, the 24th worst three-point shooting team. Yeah, I was going to say, in true Timberwolves fashion, we are towards the top of three-point field goals attempted, and we are right at the bottom with three-point field goal percentage made. Um, which doesn't really make sense. You think that you would switch up the offense or uh, get the ball into your best shooter's hands to switch that around, but we haven't. And 
it showed the past three games on our three-game losing streak, especially this last game against the Atlanta Hawks. Um, like you said, they had 25 three-pointers, um, so they finally caught fire against the Timberwolves' defense, and we just didn't have an answer for them. Um, we didn't have a full squad. Towns has been out a couple games before. We had Towns back for this one, but D'Lo was out against Atlanta. And just generating points once you look past Towns and Edwards, who has been on and off and not able to finish, like was much of the story early in the year last year, um, and iffy on his three-pointers. But once you look past Towns and Edwards for scoring, you kind of wonder who's going to be putting up double digits, even double digits for the squad um, without D'Lo. It's guys like Nas Reed, who's good for around 10 points a game. Jared Vanderbilt, who might get you six or eight. There's not a lot of guys. Malik Beasley, who can get you 20 or he can get you two. There's just not a lot going on for us when our, our top three guys, at least one of them is out, which, I mean, we've seen these past three games where one of our big three has been out for at least each of the games. And we've gone 0-3 um, in that stretch. But with that being said, the first two games of this uh, three-game stretch, we, we played really good teams close, like the Brooklyn Nets and the Washington Wizards. Without our full lineup, we just weren't able to finish both games, which is still disappointing. But um, I'd say the loss against Atlanta, uh, our latest loss, is the one that um, is the most disappointing and concerning. Other two, it's just tough games and tough scenarios, tough environments, and that's going to happen. So I'm hoping we can get our guys back healthy. Like you said, Beverly has been out, and he is just a guy who impacts the game far more than he does in the box score. He's an energy guy, a leader, a vet, um, and, and we're hoping we can get him back soon and start another Timberwolves run here. Yeah, some of the numbers here just – um, from this was from the athletic today, but uh, Beasley, who is a 38% three point shooter in his career, and he nearly shot 40% last season, shooting just 32% from this is all from three point land this season. So that's a, that's a six point swing from his career percentage and an eight point swing from his shooting last year. Russell, who, yeah, you said missed the game with sprained ankle. He is a 35.7% three-point shooter on his career. He shot 38.7%, so nearly 39% last season from three. He is shooting 32.3% this season. Another guy who's down six points, uh, percentage points on the season. Teron Prince, he was a 41%. Uh, 41.5% three-point shooter last season, just 29 games, but still a good number through 29 games. He's a 36% career shooter, and he is knocking down about 27.6% of his shots, so that's nearly a 10-point swing. And if you look at numbers from last year in the limited number of games, nearly a 15-point swing for Tehran Prince. Um, McDaniels, he's been out this week. I think he was sick. He didn't have COVID, but... He was making 26.4% of his threes this season after shooting 36.4% last season as a rookie. That's a 10-point swing. Um, Really the only guys who have trended upwards in terms of percentages are Edwards, Towns, and Nas Reed, who are up by a few percentage points, but, but nothing really remarkable. I mean, you can't go up that high for Towns. He's been pretty steady, and the big meow has kind of been a really the only steady point uh, of the Timberwolves this season. Um, 
Let's see if I have anything else here Wolves-related. Nothing really from me, BG. How about you? Nope, nothing for me. It's it's still fun to watch this team, so I'm still tuning in, um, especially just to watch Ant. But yep. Um, yep, hope we can get back to that playoff race. Yeah, he's definitely a spark. Uh, let's talk Wild for just a second here. Six in a row now for the Minnesota Wild, and they've been doing it all without Jared Spurgeon, who's still hurt and out of the lineup. But a big time win on uh, let's see, it was on Saturday night over the Toronto Maple Leafs who one of the hottest teams in the league, they, they came into this series having won 10 of their last 11, 15 of their last 17, and it was a big-time matchup. I think it was Hockey Night in Canada, uh, which I guess is like football night in America on Sunday night, but everybody in Canada was basically watching this game. Huge matchup between two of the top teams in the league and what many commentators and analysts were calling uh, a potential preview at the Stanley Cup. Wild got off to a dominating 3-0 lead, through two periods, uh, through like a period and a half, I guess, and then gave it all back before the end of the second period. So they go into the third period tied. They play them close, and they end up going to a shootout and winning in a shootout. Kirill Kaprizov with a, I don't know if it was the game winner, but it was a huge goal, uh, and it was a sick goal. If, I, if you, either of you guys saw it, you probably didn't, but it was a sweet little flipper, just a little wrist shot, and he just looked effortless. Uh, yeah, in, from the shootout, you're saying? Yeah, in that shootout goal win. Yeah, it was the the third guy to go and he made it obviously. So it ended up winning us the game, but yeah, it just looked so casual and so easy. He knew what he was going to do the whole time and was just waiting for that goalie to think that he had to put his stick out there. And when he did it, just flipped it up in the top, right. It'd take me probably 300 shots to do that. Yeah. If maybe a thousand with no goalie, Uh, but a big win. And for Toronto fans, uh, they were all over the athletic comment section on the wild uh, victory story and they were angry they were very bitter and there was I don't know I've never seen that many comments on, on any single athletic article that they've ever written and it, it's gonna hopefully be a big time rivalry between these teams particularly if they meet in the Stanley Cup finals that would be an awesome series and one I'd feel very confident going into uh, but things are moving along humming along for the wild and Kevin Fiala still hasn't even gotten going and really the only Achilles heel for this team right now is, is bad turnovers in their own zone, which is something you could pretty easy to clean up. Just stop throwing the puck away when there's two guys in our in our zone, when it's just two of our defenders and they just throw a careless pass up the ice, gets picked off, we give up a goal. And that's really been the Achilles heel as well as power play. I mean, they've been terrible scoring power play goals. I think they, had a, they did have a five-on-three at the end of that game against the Maple Leafs where they couldn't score. So, I mean, those are the two things you struggle with. You get those cleaned up, get some scoring from the power play, get Kevin Fiala involved. I mean, he's had so many good looks at goals this year. I don't think he's scored since, like, the third or fourth game this season. Uh, but he, he just seems to be hitting posts and, and hitting the edge of sticks and all kinds of shit that just find a way to not go in the goal for him. But he'll, he'll start finding the back of the net. And once he gets rolling, this power play gets rolling, they stop throwing the puck away. This could be a Stanley Cup team. And Zachary, as he joins us now, I don't know if his mic is on yet, but Zach, any thoughts on the wild six-game win streak? Uh, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, it is pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. uh, nothing else besides that. Um, Beautiful. Well said. 
Well said. Thank you. Let's move on now. We got all of us here to pick segment. Uh, recapping from last week here, going into the week, Randy had a 4-1 four and one record. He led all of us through just one week of picks, but he led all of us at 4-1. and one. The rest of us were 2-3. and three. And the games we picked, just to recap, were Michigan-Iowa, Georgia versus Alabama, Baylor and Oklahoma State, Patriots and the Bills, and then an upset pick. Everybody won their upsets besides uh, Zach with Oregon losing to Utah. Um, but this week I was 5-0, and fellas. I had a super hot week uh, with all my picks. Uh, BG, you were 3-2, and two. Randy was two and three and Zach was two and three. So now that puts the new standings at seven and three for myself, Randy at six and four, BG at five and five, and Zach at four and six. So now a little bit of separation uh, through two weeks of picks, but we'll get into next week's picks. I guess this week's picks uh, starting right off with the Steelers and the Vikings. Vikings are three point favorites. BG, we'll start with you. I'm going to take the Vikes in a bounce-back game here. Um, Kirk under the prime time, national yeah. limelight. I've got the Vikes winning by more than three. Zachary. Uh, Vikes. Love it. And Randy. Zig when others were zigging. I'm going to go with Big Ben and the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. Randy taking Pitt. Coming off a win, Pittsburgh is too. Um, but I'm going to go with the Vikings. I think it's a good spot for them to bounce back. And even though I like to see them lose every game from here on out, so we get a top 10 draft pick and go pick up Aiden Hutchinson. Uh, I think they're going to win the game, unfortunately, uh, for our future draft hopes. Moving on, we got the Bills at the Bucks. Bucks are three-point favorites. BG. Ooh, I think this is going to be a good game. Um, I'll go Bucks minus three. Zach. Bucks minus three as well. Bills, they couldn't do much last night. I know you guys probably talked NFL before. Um, I know last night was kind of a throwaway game versus what the offenses were capable of producing, but uh, Bills, Bills kind of seem like pretenders this year. Uh, Buccaneers, I'm going. Randy? Bucks all the way. Oh, I was going to take the Bucks. I still am going to take the Bucks. Tom Brady <laughs> called it the biggest game of the year uh, to the media this week, and I expect oh. the Bucks to be ready. Ready to go. <laughs> That's awesome. If Tom Brady's talking, I'm listening. Amen. Uh, <laughs> all right, college football only game of the week. Army versus Navy. Navy opened up as seven and a half point favorites. I haven't seen either of these teams play this year. I'm sure you guys haven't either, but we're going to pick it anyway. BG, what do you got? No idea how either team is doing. I'll go Army. And Zach? My grandpa was on the USS Guam. Uh, what? That's um, all your pick. <laughs> trying to think of the ship he was on. That's not good. Uh, anyway, uh, let's go Navy. Navy, I like it. I'll take uh, I'll take that <laughs> Army offense any day of the week. Yeah, I'm going Army as well. They've dominated the series. I think Navy did win one finally uh, a couple years back, but I, I'm going to take Army in the points. Thanks for telling me that, guys. <laughs> okay. No, I haven't. Uh, I haven't heard too much about that series either. But that one. Uh, I don't know. I'm never. I'm not sold on that. Like everyone, I love the military, but I, I the the game. Everyone like my buddy Evan. Evan fan of the show. Evan, yep. he lives for that game. 
He oh, no, does. No, no, maybe that's Jake. Maybe that, Jake Kroll for sure lives for that game. And possibly Evan. And possibly Evan. I think, okay, Evan, Evan definitely is a guy that lives for that game. <laughs> and, like, I just, I don't know, man. I just, I, I don't choose to watch it. I don't know why. I just, not exciting. I feel like it's just a run every play. Yeah, it's like watching the uh, the the Bills and the Patriots. Uh, yeah, forty yeah, miles. I wish wins. I hadn't seen that. that yeah, was, <laughs> it was an ugly game. It two was, ugly. was it two pass attempts for uh, Mac Jones? Three, I believe. Three pass attempts. Yeah, that was pretty yeah. cool. They ran the ball thirty-two times in a row. I think they said on the broadcast. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, all right, continuing on, we got Monday Night Football: Rams at the Cardinals. Big game for the NFC West. Cards opened as three-point favorites. BG. I'll go Cardinals to cover. Um, the Rams have not looked good the past four weeks. Uh, I, get, well, I mean, they beat the Jags by 30, but pretty much anybody can do that. Um, and Kyler Murray was back last week and looked really good, so we'll go Cards at home. Zachary. I'm going Rams on that one. I think that's their bounce-back game. I know it's a tough game to come bounce back on, but they uh, they need this one. I think they got it just because they need it. <laughs> Love it. They need it. They got it. Randy. Yep. Yeah, I think the uh, I think the Cardinals are a pretty good football team. I don't think the Rams are. <laughs> yeah, I think they're both kind of frauds, to be honest with you. Um, but hey, the 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 Cardinals got wins with Colt McCoy. Yeah, it's, uh, three two of the three worst teams in the NFC. No, they're not the worst. They're they're in the playoff hunt. But I think it was Panthers, Falcons, and my goodness, that's embarrassing if either one of those guys make the playoffs. But but <laughs> I'll I digress. I'm sticking with the Cards. At home. Uh, all right, fellas, upset picks. If you don't have one yet, go find one real quick. BG, we'll start with you. I am going to take the rat, the Ravens over the Browns in Cleveland. Ravens are two-and-a-half-point underdogs. I love that pick. I love that pick. Bounce-back game for the Ravens. Get-right game for the Ravens. Randy, who do you got? That's my game, too. I mm. think the, uh, the Browns aren't that very good. I, I don't know if you all noticed, but... The last three weeks, the Browns' schedule has been Ravens, bye week, and then Ravens again. Oh, hmm. cool. Lots to think about. Zachary, you're upset. Uh, yeah, I was looking at the game. looked tasty. And on the Browns aren't doing too hot. Ravens had a weird game there. But uh, I'm going to go with, uh, I don't know, does there have to be a certain amount the line needs to, like, can it be a, a plus one? Sure. Yeah, you, well, anything. Uh, I, I, okay, I got Niners over Bengals. Niners over the Bengals. Love that. I'm going with Giants plus 10 and a half. A lot of points in that one at the LAC at the Chargers. Uh, I, I feel like it's every other week with the Chargers. They're an every other week wow. team. They covered last week, and I feel like they're not going to cover this week. So I like the Giants. Um, Isn't it the Giants who are starting Jake Fromm this week? Yeah. That's right. Yep. Jake Fromm, State Farm. Let's go QB1. QB1, baby. Yeah, I think it was QB1. Yeah, he was. He was on there. He was like the most normal of the guys. Giants to win versus the Chargers? No, no, not to win. Just to cover plus 10.5. I don't think think they'll win, but I think they'll be within 10 points, hopefully. Gotcha. Oh, so this this pick was to to cover or to win? Yeah, I mean, it's just any any sort of upset, I guess. Or wait, were we doing it before to only to win? Yeah, I think it's... The, the think, wording yeah, is tricky of it. You're right. Upset, they need to win outright. Yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, cover is just cover either way. Okay, well, I messed up my own game here. Um, let me look, let me look for one real quick. 
Or I'll just I'll pick Unless one before. Unless you want the Jake from Giants. <laughs> no, I don't want. To, I just thought they. I still think they're going to cover. I think ten and a half is too much. But um, let's see here. What do they call them? Daniel covers. I'll take. Hey, how about this? I'll go outside of NFL and I'll take the uh, the Wild tonight. They play Edmonton. Game hasn't started yet. Starting thirteen minutes. I'll take the Wild as my upset pick over the Oilers and Connor McDavid. Okay, that that's being accepted by the board. Yep. Yep. Beautiful. Wild over the Oilers. That game is already over by the time you're listening to this podcast, and hopefully the Wild have made it seven in a row. Um, fellas, I got nothing else. Any thoughts from you guys across the board? Zach, this Patriots is your time. Number, Patriots number one seed in the AFC. What do you guys think about that one? Oh, yeah. The Pats are so good. Bill they Belichick is so back. Dude, he's... He just finds any way to win. The Super Bowl odds just came out, or the new projections of like the best odds in each uh, each conference, and it's the the Bucks and the Patriots. Wouldn't that be something? Oh, yeah. That, I mean, NFL would love that. Yes, oh, they would. The ratings would be insane. Oh, that'd be that'd probably be the most watched Super Bowl if anyone know, knew anything about football. Seriously. They'd have to tune into that one. Yeah. Speaking of ratings, too, I just saw a tweet. Uh, just came to mind, but the Ohio State Michigan game two weeks ago now was the highest rated college football game of the year. I believe. I guess I didn't look at all the rankings, oh, but it out over Bama Georgia. Yeah, it outperformed. I think Bama Georgia was like fifteen point four million. I want to say I don't have them in front of me here, but uh, the Michigan Ohio State game was fifteen point nine million. Uh, so Big Ten outdrawn the SEC. Love Jeez. it. That's awesome news. Does that account for all the? I don't know who does this, but those people ugh, that uh, stream these games. Uh, legally, these I have no idea, to be honest with you. Probably not. I don't think there's maybe, I don't know. I guess it'd be interesting to see how many people are legally streaming games, but I would imagine the, the vast majority of people watching are on TV or at, at bars or whatever, but I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, I wonder how they calculate like, everyone at the bar too. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I don't know. I mean, I would assume there's some way. We, we could ask Luke Bach and Nielsen Ratings Company uh, how, they, how, how they do it, but I would imagine there's some sort of way that they distinguish what, I mean, there's got to be a certain number of bars that have like a Nielsen system or whatever that's watching what they're watching and yeah. can track their ratings. But yeah, I have no idea how they do that. Family Guy had that episode where Pete, the Griffins became a Nielsen household. That's pretty funny. <laughs> I do vaguely remember that. What, <laughs> what what were they watching? I can't remember. Uh, that's going to bug me. All right, well, you I think about it. it this week and come back with your answer next week. I can do that. Okay, beautiful. We'll see you guys all then. There is a house in New Orleans. They call the rising sun.
children Not to do what I have done Spend your life in sin and misery In the house 